Boston Doc Rivers was a great coach. I'm going to leave it at that. He managed those rosters pretty well. The Clippers Doc Rivers is an underachieving coach, a regular season coach. Kind of like, I like to think of George Carl as similar to what Doc Rivers is. It's really tough mentally coming back 3-1 two times in a row. To do it a third time is just too much. And, you know, body-wise, you granted aren't traveling, which is great for, for, for your health. But it is still hard to recover. What have you seen from Kuzma, Ani? Like, I... I don't like what I've been seeing. He's been too inconsistent, and everyone talks about him as like that third guy. But, you know, guys like KCP, Caruso, I've seen so much more from them contributing on a night in, night out basis. Like, it feels like those guys just don't disappear because they're competing both ends. But I feel like sometimes Kuzma, like, he'll make a random three every once in a while, and I'll be like, oh, Kuzma was on the court? I didn't even realize. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Locked In Podcast. My name is Ani. My name is Shree. And man, were there some crazy sports all over the past week and weekend. We have the NBA Finals set up. Miami Heat versus LA Lakers. Stephen A. Smith said that this was a Christmas wish back in 2019, and man, did it come true. So we have that great matchup to look forward to. The Tampa Bay Lightning have won the Stanley Cup Finals, so they get to Take that cup home, eat cereal from it, do whatever they want with that cup because it's theirs. We've got some crazy NFL. We just had Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson in which Mahomes dominated, but we'll be talking about the NFL in another episode. We have baseball as well, which we'll touch on because the MLB playoffs are upon us and that your A's look to be ripe in contention in the AL, so we'll see about that. But first things first, we have an addition to our website. We have our first posted published hot off the presses certified blog post on our website lockedinpod.com is the website it's a blog post i wrote me ani about the chargers essentially ranting about this past week three game against the panthers i really encourage you guys to check it out i put in a lot of time 15 20 hours on that so you know really put my heart sweat tears into that and so I'd really appreciate it. if you guys checked it out. Let us know what you think. Comment on the post. Uh, send us an Instagram DM, an email, whatever. Just check it out, lockedinpod.com. If you really wanted to write a book on the Chargers last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, you, you can start work on that because, oh boy, you're in for a long writing session, buddy. I'm, I'm doing some deep dives right now, which I'll be posting on the blog about the Chargers medical staff history. I've already talked to you, Shri, about this and... I think there's some real interesting things there. I really want to do a deep dive on the Chargers, so we'll see what happens. But again, please check the blog post out. And we'll be posting more blog posts. Uh, you know, it's a lot more accessible for us instead of making a whole podcast episode about it, just putting it out there, putting some thoughts. But I mean, first things first in the NBA, there is some huge NBA news. Finals aside, which is crazy to think that we're putting the finals aside right now. In the aftermath of what happened in the in the second round in the semi in the conference semifinals of the NBA playoffs in the bubble, the Denver Nuggets coming back three one against the Los Angeles Clippers, we had some crazy surprising news that Doc Rivers has been released, let go, fired, terminated his contract from the LA Clippers. Just mind blowingly shocking. Shri, what are your first thoughts about this? I kinda called it remember a couple episodes back i was like oh the clippers need to make a change doc needs to go 
And I guess thinking back on it, like it did sound a little extreme considering how much talent that team has and how minor the fixes really are for that team to go from 3-1 in the second round to like a potential Western Conference Finals, maybe Finals appearance. But one of the most telling stats, and I think why the Clippers felt the need to pull the trigger was Frank Vogel in his first year as Lakers coach has won more playoff series or he's won as many playoff series as Doc Rivers has in his last ever since he came to the Clippers and some of the players to go through the Clippers system and this just doesn't make sense Chris Paul Blake Griffin prime DeAndre Jordan all-world defender prime Paul George Kawhi Leonard and they've just run off sixth men of the year, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell. So there's never been a shortage of talent. And that doesn't even include some of the other contributors like an in his prime JJ Redick, who when his career is done, he's going to go down as one of the best shooters in NBA history. So Doc's always had players. He's always had teams that were projected to go really far into the playoffs. And, you know, they just never could get it done. And... I think Doc Rivers did do a lot of great things for the Clippers franchise because they've always been the the sister to the Lakers or, you know, that second fiddle to the, the big kahuna, like the big L.A. team that everyone really likes. And he made the Clippers prominent again, like he made them a draw starting with Lob City and entering this new phase with the grit and grind, Pat Bev, Lou Williams, Montrez, all those guys. And then he went. He went for the home run, bringing in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and essentially mortgaged the Clippers' future. He sent all those draft picks to OKC, obviously with the the help of Jerry West and some of the management advising him. And this, this was their year. They should have done more than what they did. And the fact that they got bounced in the second round again is just... It, it a lot of that is on the coach at a certain point like not having your guys ready to compete at the highest level so i think it's a good move i think the clippers needed a, a jump start a fast reset just anything to get them out of this doldrums of not moving on in the playoffs i think my biggest issue with it is the fact that i, I don't think doc Rivers should have been fired because i don't think and again i I'll say this. He wasn't actually fired. It was a mutual agreement is, is what reports came out and said. So it was partially him and partially the Clippers organization. Maybe even Steve Ballmer came down from, you know, his suite up there and said, you know, Doc, we got to end this. But you're the Clippers right now. You've let go of Doc Rivers. Who is your next head coach? Because the options right now are not looking great. I mean, you could go Mike D'Antoni, right? But I don't think that'd be a very good fit for this type of ball the, the, the type of ball this team plays. You could have potentially Tyron Lue because he's on your bench and he's your assistant coach, but apparently he's looking to be in Philadelphia right now. You could have Brett Brown, but we saw how he turned out in Philadelphia. You could have people, the rumors saying that Phil Jackson, which definitely is not going to happen, but even potentially Stan Van Gundy could coach for the first time since the mid-2000s. And my, my, my biggest issue with this is Billy Donovan just got hired as the coach of the Bulls. If you had made this decision a few weeks earlier, maybe right after you guys lost, and were able to get Billy Donovan to come on to be the coach of your team, then I would be like, okay, yeah, sure, it's good firing him. But I don't think any of the coaches out there in the market can do a better job than Doc Rivers. I think the when the Nets let go of Kenny Atkinson, that was 
kind of a surprise to a ton of people. And I think a lot of that decision centered around what Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving wanted in a coach. And, you know, Jacques Vaughn did a decent job with the Nets. I think he deserves a shot with them next year. But Atkinson's basically a free agent. And I thought he did a fantastic job with that D'Lo team and that energetic Nets bench, you know, the, the team we all really enjoyed watching last year. So I feel like he would be a good fit with the Clippers if they wanted to pursue something along that avenue. But you're right. Like, aside from a few half-decent candidates, like, come on, Alvin Gentry, like, no one, no one's trying to watch that in LA for another, like, two, three years. So, Woj reported that, again, Ty Lue and Jeff Van Gundy are the two frontrunners, and there are a couple of other coaches out there, but my issue is this. If you ran a simulation a thousand times with Doc Rivers as the coach of this playoffs team, I believe that more likely than not, they were to at least go to the conference finals and play the Lakers. I think, like, there obviously were, and we discussed this in previous episodes, some glaring fundamental issues with the Clippers. I think the, the the Clippers as a team, they're not poorly constructed, but they were poorly managed, and they didn't necessarily play to their highest potential because of the players on that team not putting in their full effort. And yes, their 100% were coaching issues. But every coach sometimes has, I mean, granted, like Doc Rivers should have pulled out Montrez at some points of the game. He should have motivated PG a bit more, but... Most of his players were just playing terribly. And Kawhi Leonard, even though he played pretty well the entire series, is only one guy. And he also couldn't help the fact that there was nobody to guard Jokic. And Jamal Murray was going off. And I, I just think that if one or two things had slightly been changed, Doc Rivers would have lost in the conference finals instead of the conference semifinals. I think the Lakers would have beat the Nuggets. Sorry, the Clippers would have beat the Nuggets. The Clippers should have beat the Nuggets. So my issue is you fire Doc Rivers, right? And you bring in somebody else. Let's say you bring in Ty Lue, who's been on the bench right now. You know, he's assistant coach for the Clippers. So he's, he's been with this team, whatever. He's now the coach. I still think next year, they probably at least make it to the conference finals because they have such a talented roster. But if they do, and let's say this Lakers team is similar, let's say they even make it just to the conference semifinals and lose. I think they had a better chance of making it further with Doc Rivers than Tyron do. I, I, I don't disagree that maybe there are some potential coaching candidates out there that, that could fill the vacancy of Doc Rivers. But for me, the issue with the Clippers was not necessarily their coaching, but was more of the internal player motivation. If you gave Doc Rivers a second chance, like 2021 season, Doc Rivers versus anybody else, I think Doc Rivers still gives you, gives you the best chance to win the championship compared to everybody else because Doc Rivers has... A lot of playoff experience. And granted, it's not great playoff experience. He's only won three playoff series as the coach of the Clippers. And he's lost in the first round more times than he's been to the conference semifinals as a, as a playoff coach. But still, I, I think that it gives you a better chance because he's so experienced than anybody else, including you know Tyrell Lue, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, Brett Brown, Anybody else that's available, Alvin Gentry on, on, on the coaching market. That's just my two cents. So I'm just very curious to see why they fired him, especially with someone like Billy Donovan already hired by the Chicago Bulls. Well, some of the, the Clipper players that, uh, obviously not Kawhi and PG, but some of the other guys, there was a, there were many reports saying that, you know, Doc gives like preferential star treatment. And this is something that he's done throughout his career, back when he was even, you know, coaching the big three up in Boston, like Pierce, Garnett, Allen, even Rondo sometimes like those guys got that preferential star treatment that they get more rest they get a little more hours off practice they're like Doc takes care of his stars and 
it works when your stars are just hungry, driven, and just willing to lay it all on the line every single game the way that Boston team was back in the day where, you know, if they're on the floor, there's no quit in them. When I, I'll always remember that one game against the Knicks where it's like the end of the big three. Like, you know, it's their, their swan song. It's one of their last playoff games together. They're down 25 against the Knicks. And going into the fourth quarter, Avery Bradley, Rondo, Pierce, Garnett, and I, I forget, like the fifth guy. Like, they, they came back, cut it to four, and it was like the last game the big three played together. But it was it was just telling of that Celtics team there was no quit. Here, I don't see that same mentality, at least vocally. I don't see it during the games from Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And giving your stars that advantage i guess makes sense when they set the tone in practice and they're the ones showing it in the in the playoffs like the playoff rondo is a thing again this year for a reason like he just elevates his game in the playoffs same with those other guys kg ray paul pierce but you know when you have someone like paul george averaging last year 28 an mvp candidate and this year you know because of injuries and everything scoring averages down throughout the year but you expect him healthy in the playoffs to be that same top 10 level impact player in the league that we all think and know he can be and he averages 20 on sub 40 percent shooting that is unacceptable and when you have a coach who still rewards players despite them not necessarily proving it at that next stage it creates some resentment and i think it's good that the clippers finally said okay doc you've done some nice things but we need a coach who's gonna kind of have a reign on the entire team a little more so i think that's one of the fundamental reasons why doc rivers oh, isn't the clippers coach which coach is gonna have a reign on the team which coach would players like pat bev lou williams paul george and Kawhi Leonard, who have all been in the league for so long, immediately respect and say, oh yeah, this is a person that, not that they're going to bow down to in a sense, but they're going to say, yeah, you can take control of this locker room. Because right now, granted, the, the, the Clippers don't have any vocal leaders other than maybe like Lou Williams or Pat Bev in their locker room. But as a coach, Alvin Gentry, I don't think so. He hasn't had any real success in the NBA. Maybe if you brought someone in, I think the Nets higher in that situation of bringing in Steve Nash. Someone who's supremely more accomplished than Kyrie Irving and someone who's equally as accomplished as Kevin Durant and just the, the savviness that he brings to, to, the, to, to the team. If Steve Nash says something, you're probably going to listen, right? Because he's been such a guru and he's this great all-time point guard. I don't see the Clippers bringing in anyone like that that can command the locker room that in a, in a way that Doc Rivers didn't. I agree Doc Rivers didn't have a good command of this locker room, but who's going to that they can hire is my issue. If anybody of all the candidates, Doc Rivers has the most playoff experience. He's the only coaching candidate that's won a championship as a head coach. Like, who's going to be more respected than Doc Rivers that they could bring in? I think someone like Ty Lue, for all the memes and all the Iverson stepovers and everything that people say about Ty Lue, having LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love on a team and beating that 2016 Golden State team the way they did coming back from 3-1, that a lot of that does have to do with coaching. And... It was his substitution patterns. It was the way he empowered his stars to really take over. Like LeBron and Kyrie went to a level we've just not seen two star teammates go at. And, you know, the game they both had 41 took over while still getting the other guys involved. Like LeBron had a triple double in that 41 point game. Like he was getting his other guys involved. And I think Ty Lue has a good command of the locker room. I think the reason he was fired is because he didn't have 
like the record was just bad once LeBron left. Like that Cavs team was reduced to a little bit of nothing. And oftentimes in that situation, the coach is going to be the, the guy who takes the downfall for that. But in this situation where you have a lot of superstars already on the team and you have a pretty well-constructed roster, like up and down, it's one of the deepest teams in the league. And we've talked about this. I think Ty Lue can do a good job with this. I think Kenny Atkinson could do a good job with this. Those are my my two guys. Jeff Van Gundy's interesting because he always adds some unique perspective on the broadcast. And I always think, oh, why isn't this guy at least an assistant coach right now? I know he's not coached for a while, but I think he still has it. You know, we'll see. Like, I, that's just my two cents on it. I, I think Doc was, his welcome was just worn out a little bit. I think the fact that Ty Lue was an assistant coach on the Clippers team doesn't give him enough credibility because he was sitting there sort of part of the same organization. I think if Ty Lue was on another team or if he was an outsider like Jeff Van Gundy, I think that would have been a good hire, I agree. But because he's part of the same coaching staff, for me, it just loses a little bit of locker room credibility because he's been in the same locker room and he's probably said some stuff. I mean, assistant coaches have to talk. But here's my question to you. A lot of people now are talking about Docker and his legacy. Do you believe he's an all-time great coach? Do you believe he should go to the Hall of Fame? Because as, as a coach, um, he was in Orlando from 1999 until 2004. He, and he got fired in the first 11 games of 2004. Uh, so 1999 and 2003, he missed the playoffs in 99 oh, in the 2000 series. Or year, sorry. And then the, the next three years, he, he lost in the first round. He lost in the first round in his first year in Boston, 04-05. Did make the playoffs 06, 05, 06, 06, 07. Then he got the big three, won the chip. Then lost in the conference semifinals, lost in the finals to Kobe. Lost in the conference semifinals, lost in the conference finals, and then lost in the first round. The last year, the big three that you were just talking about, the New York Knicks series. Then, with Lob City, with Chris Paul, with that sort of big three, they lost in the conference semifinals two years in a row, lost in the first round two years in a row, missed the playoffs in 2017-2018. First round, lost last year to the Warriors, and lost in the conference semifinals. So really... He's lost in the first round as many times as he made it as he's made it past the first round. Eight to eight. Right? So I mean, he's only won one championship, and that's only one. That's very should be a very big deal. But I feel like if you look at someone like Nick Nurse, right? Nick Nurse has consistently on, you know, the few teams he's coached, brought the team from the level where they were at as a roster up a notch. But I feel like Doc Rivers was somehow lucky enough to always get these great talent-filled rosters. Even in Orlando, they had Daryl Armstrong, friend of the podcast. They had T-Mag dropping buckets. And their team wasn't super well-constructed, but they still had enough to maybe make it past the first round if their coach was good enough. And we saw Boston only made two finals, and they were clearly the best team in the East. They only won one of them. And you know they lost in the conference semifinals in 08-09. They lost in the conference semifinals in 10-11 and lost in the conference finals 11-12. First round loss in 12-13 with the big three. Granted, the big three started to decline after 10-11, but still, you know, you had this great, great roster that you just let up. And then Lob City, you didn't even make the conference finals with Lob City. That's the craziest part to me. And so, I mean, people are talking about Doc Rivers' legacy. So at one point, I used to say, oh, yeah, he's one of the greatest coaches of sort of his generation, right? And obviously, Greg Popovich, I think, is one of the greatest coaches of all time. But I mean, other people in his generation that coached that were pretty good. Maybe Jerry Sloan, George Carl, maybe him. But I mean, if you just compare Jerry Sloan, George Carl to, to Doc Rivers, they were they've consistently taken teams that weren't as good and made them go further than Doc Rivers has. So I don't know if he's that good of a coach. 
So, I mean, you were a Celtics fan at one point. What do you think? Celtics fan. They were my favorite team in the East. Let's just get that straight. But, well, I mean, the, the winning is undoubted. Like, Doc's career record, I'm looking at, is like 943 and 681. That's a 58% winning percentage. That's really good. Like, his team's won games. But if you were given the best roster every single year, wouldn't you win games automatically? It's like, if I coached the Celtics with the big three, I would have won 50 games a year. No. I, we we know nothing or little to nothing about how to coach. How much I coaching think, does that team really need? I think if you put the top high school basketball coach in the NBA, that team does it instantly underachieves if you don't have an NBA coach. I think we don't know enough about coaching to comment on that. But... He's won one title. I thought that Celtics team should have won more. I think there was a Perkins injury somewhere in there when they made the finals again that cost them. That There were a few unfortunate injuries that they had to deal with that prevented them from winning either back-to-back or winning multiple finals during that time. They were also an aging big three. Let's not forget, like when they created that team in the beginning, it's not like Pierce, Garnett, and Allen were all in their primes. Like, the only young guy on that team who was, like, showing star potential was Rondo. And, obviously, we know how much he meant to that team. But the other guys were adjusting from their time as prime players, as number one options. They all had to adapt. So, it wasn't your typical... It wasn't your Braun, Wade, Bosch, Big 3. It was different. And I think Doc did a good job managing all the personalities on that team. Remember... Tony Allen, Eddie House, James Posey, a lot of vocal guys. And then there were the characters like Big Baby Davis. And, and Rashid Wallace was on the Celtics for a couple of years. So, you know, they, they had a lot of guys come through that team. And I thought, okay, Boston Doc Rivers was a great coach. I'm going to leave it at that. He managed those rosters pretty well. The Clippers Doc Rivers is an underachieving coach, a regular season coach. Kind of like, I like to think of George Carl as similar to what Doc Rivers is, right? Like, George Carl had a lot of great Nuggets teams, and I think they should have made it further than they sh- they did. No way. Not as good as Lob City. No, like the like the year Golden State in 2013 when they played the three-seeded Nuggets, I thought the Nuggets should have won that series. Like, Golden State won handily 4-2. Like, it, that's just, uh, that's evidence of, like, a an underachieving coach and george carl consistently has underachieved in the playoffs compared to his regular season success they made the conference finals that year and lost to kobe that was one year they made the conference finals with well they didn't have a great team they had jr smith carmelo anthony and chauncey billups that that's the entire team they had a pretty good team man those nuggets teams not, and the entire no, decade no the reliable nuggets, bigs they had no good re- they had andre or no no, Link was on the Jazz. Nene. Nene was the reliable big. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. No, but okay, it was Nene versus Andrew Bynum and Paul Gasol. It was, no, it was, I'm not just talking about that series. Like, they had Nene, they had Kenyon Martin. Like, they had some good players. Like, it's not like those Nuggets were scrubs. They were really, really good teams. And they couldn't get out of the first round, let alone make it to the second round. They could not get out of the first round. And, you, and oftentimes, they were top four seeds in the West. So it's not like they didn't have the talent. I just... I view Doc Rivers as a tier below the elite coaches. I think he's a very good coach, but not an elite coach. I think the elite coaches of today are the guys like, you know, Brad Stevens, who's elite, but has some work to do. Nick Nurse is an elite coach. Um, Steve Kerr, obviously, I think he's an elite coach. A lot of people say he's just kind of carried by his roster, but it takes a lot to manage 
superstars. Like that, it it's not easy managing it. Like we saw Doc struggle in the playoffs this year. So I think there's it. it what about takes, Eric Spolstra? Eric Spolstra is an extremely elite coach. I, we're going to get to him when we go into the finals talk. But yeah, Spolstra should not be slept on. He's a fantastic head coach. But yeah, I think Doc is right below the elite tier. I agree with that. And, you know, sad that he got fired or let go or mutually agreed upon to stop the, you know, coaching the team. But I hope they find a good coach. But, you know, enough about the doc talk. We're not at the hospital. So now moving on to the uh, conference finals recap. So Nuggets versus Lakers. And the Nuggets had the Lakers exactly where they wanted them, a 3-1 deficit. The Lakers could not, sorry, the, the, and the, the, the Nuggets could not pull through. Lakers closed it out. We had a few crazy games, including Game 2, with that buzzer beater by Anthony Davis. I think the Lakers did a great thing. Game 5, up 3-1. They wore their, their Mamba jerseys, those black jerseys, and with the, with the heart, with the two around it, you know, to, to honor Gianna and, uh, Brian and Kobe Bryant. And they haven't lost in those jerseys all playoffs, and they didn't lose that day and they advanced to the finals so so you know a great great move by them coaching wise so shout out to frank vogel i think that was the best coaching decision he's made all playoffs is wearing that jersey when you're up 3-1 against the nuggets because you know game five against the nuggets usually goes the other way if you're down if, if you're up 3-1 but i mean i have to say all joking aside nuggets played one hell of a series and they played one hell of a playoffs and i'm so excited to see as michael porter develops as Will Barton comes back to full strength, <clears throat> as Jokic becomes somehow even better, which I know he will, as Jamal Murray becomes a little bit more consistent, and as those surrounding pieces, Jeremy Grant, Plumley, some of the other guys on that team develop and really transform, this Nuggets team is looking very scary. Yeah, Jeremy Grant, especially in the last few games, really showed his his skills to any free agent suitors, he's going to get paid this offseason. Jeremy Grant is going to make a nice amount of money. So I hope he stays, I hope with, he the stays with the Nuggets. I hope he stays with the Nuggets. I think he's a good piece. But, you know, Jamal was wearing down towards the end of that series. He, he didn't have that same burst on drives. His three-pointers looked... that they He didn't have the same bounce to the step. Um, the pick and rolls were a little more sluggish. High screen and roll with Jokic. Um, the Nuggets shooters just didn't do those two guys any favors gary harris excellent defense i've said it many times i think his defense is one of the more underrated aspects of that nuggets team but he couldn't hit a shot michael porter plays well in stretches but sometimes you have to deal with the fact that he gives up a lot on the defensive end like there were so many charges in game five where if he had just set his feet he would have drawn an offensive foul but you know the more experience he gets in situations like this i think the better he gets um what can I say about Jokic? He, we, we've talked a lot about him on it. This is a very pro Jokic podcast, but he needs a left shoulder move because he's very effective going one way and he has that herky jerkiness that lets him get those little like cheap buckets or he'll fake someone out, but he doesn't have a counter move the way someone like Anthony Davis does, who has such a refined post game. And that's the evolution for Jokic, right? Like, he has his little, what, what, what do they call it? That Sombor shuffle, that move where he's just shooting it off his right foot, fadeaway jump shot, that awkward looking shot that goes in, but it just looks really bad when he's shooting it. 
I call it the Yawning Flamingo. Sure, the Yawning Flamingo. You can you can make up whatever name you want for it. It works, but he needs another counter move, and I think that's the one weakness in his offensive game right now. Like he can shoot. I think his percentages will get better the more he takes threes. He has the mid range on those pick and pops. He has the ability to just back someone down in the post and get a layup over them. But when he's met with someone who has a little more physicality, a la Dwight Howard, it's he he struggles, and that's the one thing he needs to shore up on offense. Defensively, Jokic is still, I think, a little bit of a liability. He got better throughout the season, but the the Murray Jokic pairing needs to improve defensively as well. Like for all the the talk and all the praise we heap on them for their offensive abilities, and well deserved. They, they leave a lot on the defensive side, and that showed when you're facing someone like LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, even KCP torched them for a few games. So I think the Nuggets have some things to work on, but a lot to be proud of from this playoff run. Like We saw the growth of a young team before our very eyes. One of the most resilient teams I can remember. No quit. Like, even in that last game five, when they were down 16, they ended up cutting it to two, tying the game. People were saying, oh, can the Nuggets win this? Is this going to be a repeat of the first two series? And the fact that it even got to that point just said a lot about the heart of that team. So I think Michael Malone is heading towards the tier of Doc Rivers in terms of head coaching. Like, he's had some bad experiences with Sacramento before. I don't think he even should have gotten fired from the Kings, but... He's doing a fantastic job managing these Denver guys. So I, I'm really happy for Denver. We'll talk about LA later, but what did you think overall about Denver's playoff run? The fact that they won a game against the Lakers should be lauded and celebrated because that team was so tired. So unbelievably tired. They came back 3-1, two consecutive times, 14 games played already. The Lakers are 12-3. and They played 15 games total. The Lakers have played as many games in three rounds as the Nuggets have played in two rounds, right? And it's just so crazy. So, I mean, I just I know that the game should have been much closer if the Nuggets had not taken both their previous series to seven. The Nuggets won even like 4-3, one of them, and 4-1, 4-2, the other one. They would have had that little bit of energy. It was just... It's really tough mentally coming back 3-1 two times in a row. To do it a third time is just too much. And, you know, body-wise, you granted aren't traveling, which is great for, for for your health, but it is still hard to recover. Playing that many games at that high level with, with nobody cheering you on, really. There's no home court advantage, no, no fans to draw energy from. It's just, I'm so impressed by this Nuggets team. And obviously there's some work to do. And to call this Nuggets team maybe a piece or some development away from being championship contenders is not a hot take at all. It's a very lukewarm take because everybody has it, you know? it's These Nuggets look scary dangerous, and I think, honestly speaking, they, they seem a lot closer to winning an NBA championship than the Boston Celtics do. You think? Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to Boston in a bit. I just wanted to quickly touch on the Dwight Howard aspect of this series and how I think he really he he really exposed Jokic, right? Like I I would have never guessed that a guy future Hall of Famer, let's let's get that clear. But limited minutes in the Rocket series, him and McGee didn't really play that much because Houston just doesn't do anything a normal NBA team does. And 
he comes in energized, gives everybody energy. He's just talking to Jokic the entire time, trash talking him, frustrating him, playing really physical with him. And for all the heat Dwight Howard's gotten in the last five, six, how many ever years, I don't care. Like he is carving himself a second legacy. People who are watching now are going to remember him a little more of all the positive things he contributed to a championship caliber team. I'm not saying they're going to win it all yet, but they are obviously like they're in the finals. So he played a major role in getting that team there. And that should be celebrated for a guy who I think has been one of the most unrelatable slash unlikable superstars we've had in the modern NBA so far. Yeah, I think that was a really good move by Frank Vogel putting him in. Especially with how little playing time he got, as you said, in the Rocket series. But, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad he has a comeback. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with JaVale and Dwight Howard in, in the finals against the Heat because of the BAM matchup. And I know that Daniel Tice really dominated the boards against the Heat, but he wasn't able to put back many of the rebounds he got on, on the offensive side of the glass. So, I know Dwight Howard can do that, and he showed that he was able to do that against the Nuggets. So, we'll see how he's utilized but yeah let's move on to the eastern conference finals and i said it i believe it the nuggets seem like a much more cohesive and complete team than the celtics did because i think they're playing harder opponents they played the clippers right and they played the the lakers who i think were were harder opponents than anybody the uh the the boston celtics played right i mean because the heat he played the bucks the the celtics did not play the bucks they played in the first round, they had they played the uh, the the Magic, right? Who Boston? No, that was no, no. They played no, the, no. Uh, Boston, Boston, play? Boston played Philly in the first round. They didn't Philly, have Simmons. Yeah, Philly, though. but yeah, Philly really just fizzled out without Simmons. You're right. Yeah, that was the the Bucks played Magic, and then the second round, Toronto. I mean, I, I'm just yeah, oh yeah, Toronto. That was a good series. Toronto was a tough opponent. I agree, but I mean, Pascal Siakam was just terrible that series, and so. The the Celtics team is uber talented in terms of his roster. They have a great coach. Why aren't they able to figure it out? I'm I'm kind of confused. Well, okay, uh, this is revision. Gordon Hayward was this, wasn't as as at 100. percent I do agree, but you know, no, I'll, I'll get to Hayward. But like the the revisionist history is that I think either Toronto or Miami would have smacked the Clippers. Like, just look if if those two were for some reason in the same conference playing in these playoffs, I don't think. The Clippers would have beaten either of those teams in a seven-game series, just just because of the the competitiveness of both Miami and Toronto. Those teams did not quit. Like Boston, talent-wise, had every edge on Toronto, but but Toronto just didn't quit. Like in any of the games, whenever Boston went on like those like eight-zero runs, nine-zero runs, and it looked like they were gonna pull away, Toronto just switched. Like oh, box and one. Let's take Kemba out of this game. Let's focus on everything else and. More often than not, it worked. So I thought Boston survived against Toronto. Against Miami, oh, zone defense is taught from when you're six. Like when you're first learning basketball and don't know how to play man-to-man, all the coaches, all the instructors teach you zone. And yes, I'm simplifying it. 2-3 zone is a very complex thing in the NBA. Like it's not as easy as just oh stay in your zone and help out. Like there's a lot more nuanced stuff when you're dealing with back picks and screeners and people coming off pin downs and like off ball movement. Like all that stuff is way beyond our grasp. But for a coach like Brad Stevens who's 
we we all think he's a good coach. We we like Brad Stevens. For a team with as many talented guys on defense as Boston has, you know, Marcus Smart, first team all defense, Jalen Brown. Ani, me and you played basketball together. We went to Union City camps. We did Sullivan Center, which is our local equivalent of the NBA. We did all these things together. We were taught zone defense. And the basic 2-3 zone is something that we know from when we're really young trying to learn the game of basketball. And yes, in the NBA, when there's back picks, off-ball movements, pin-downs, curls, all these crazy ways to get shooters open and to get people in the post touches, it's a very complex defense to master. But when you're an offensive team with guys like Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and the occasional Marcus Smart heat check game where he won't miss a three. How did you guys not figure out how to break Miami's zone for six games? I saw positive things from Boston towards the end of that series when Gordon Hayward came back because it gave them another guy who could just cut through the middle of the zone, make a play, make reads, and get teammates open shots. I thought Hayward was... the, the Just the sheer fact of having Gordon Hayward out there helped them out. And he played a terrible game six. I'm not cutting him any slack. He missed a lot of open shots. And he wasn't himself. Like, obviously, I think he's still dealing with a little injury. If it was a regular season, he probably wouldn't play. But Miami's zone just absolutely flummoxed the Celtics. And it's weird because you usually go zone when you want when you want to control shooting. Or when you want to stop a guy in the post. Because you can always throw help. But... Boston has shooters at every position, especially when they go small. Like when Grant Williams runs the five, he can score the three. Like he's not he's not a great shooter, but he's still like a half decent threat from three. All these guys are scorers and they're very capable of breaking down a zone. And it took so long for them to at least somewhat figure it out. And by that time, the series was done. Like Miami was like well on its way to winning the series and the game. So. I don't know. That was frustrating to see from Boston's end. I thought they did a few good things the later the series got like went on. I thought Kemba played a Kemba didn't have like the numbers. Like he didn't average like 25 or anything, but he competed defensively. He he kind of limited Drogic. Like Drogic was killing them in the first four games, but I think I think he did a little better job the more the series went on. But Miami just has so many weapons, man. Like, Bam turned into point Bam. Game 5, Game 6. Especially Game 6. Tyler Hero is the ultimate wildcard dude who's... You, you don't really expect him to have the game like he did. Game... What was it? Game 4 where he had 37. So... The depth of Miami was just on full display in this series. I thought Boston competed well. Like... It's not like they just rolled over, but... Uh, Ani, let me pose this question. Was the Celtics season a disappointment given, you know, they had Hayward injury issues, Kembo's first year, you know, Brown and Tatum are still developing, getting better. We saw Tatum take that superstar leap this season, but what, what, what do you think of the Celtics season overall? I don't know. I think we talked about what would be a disappointing season for the Sixers before these playoffs started. And this was obviously a disappointing season for the Sixers, but again, they weren't fully healthy. But I'm just really, as, as a basketball fan, as 
uh, I wouldn't even say I'm an analyst in terms of analyzing anything because I don't analyze anything on this podcast. I just, you know, state facts and make bad opinions. But I'm thoroughly confused. I don't know what to think of this Boston team because they have such a good head coach. Granted, Brad Stevens is a more defensive-minded head coach than others. But he is a very good head coach. And they have a supremely talented roster. They have the starting five is one of the best starting fives in the league. And their bench is actually pretty deep as well. And they seem to have good chemistry. And everybody seems to know their role. And even with Gordon Hayward out, they seem to still be doing well. And matchup-wise, they seem to sort of have a slight edge over the players on Miami. And, you know, Tyler Hero is young. Goran Dragic is, is supposed to be old and, and washed out. And Jimmy Butler is supposed to be a superstar that doesn't play well with others. And just all the storylines coming into the season. It just seemed like the Celtics should have won this series and made it to the finals. It seemed like if you told someone at the beginning of the season, oh yeah, this Celtics team, they're going to face the Miami Heat in the conference finals. Who do you think will win? People are like, oh yeah, the Celtics, of course. The Celtics' biggest challenges were the Raptors and the Bucks. You know, these two teams that had talented rosters that had played together for a while and good head coaches. I'm just so confused as to how the Celtics didn't adapt over the series to the zone defense. Which, again, as you said, is something that we've been taught since we were little kids. It's a lot harder to adapt. And I think Miami and Eric Spolster did an impeccable job of of holding that zone defense together. And the players themselves were very disciplined, right? A lot of times when you're playing zone defense, even sort of recreationally or even on, on a team, it breaks down easily because players don't hold their assignments. But this team was very well coached. But still, like, you can't figure out anything else, any alternative to, to, to this zone defense. It's just... and. You know, some players didn't have their greatest series. Kemba did not play super well. Yeah, and, you know, Jalen Brown could have played a little bit better at some points. And Jason Tatum was scoreless in the first half in some games and didn't do too well in the first half. But still, overall, I'm just... I, I'm so confused. I don't know... I, what is the explanation for the Celtics not making the finals? Is it just that this the Heat were so much better than them? Because every indication points to the Celtics should have won the series as Eric Spolster is a god at coach and you know Jimmy Butler stepped up and Tyler Hero stepped up and Bam Adebayo stepped up and Goran Dragic stepped up and Kelly Olynyk is a good luck charm I'm just so confused there's no talent gap between these teams because bo- both teams have playmakers at every position like for for all the the talk about Daniel Tyson now he's kind of like the weak link in the Celtics big lineup like he competes and he guards people well and he crashes off the offensive class and he does things so boston doesn't have a lack of playmaking and miami definitely doesn't have a lack of playmaking it just came down to execution in the last like four or five minutes of games and the series could have easily been 2-2 heading into game five if boston just executed a little better but when miami runs things through bam like for a lot of teams right now like you want if you're on defense, you want the opponent to run things through their centers because guards are always really good at making decisions, or at least I should say most guards are good at making the right reads and the right passes in crunch time. You want the centers to be the ones to to either put the ball on the floor where, you know, sometimes they'll be reckless, there'll be an offensive foul, or make them make a tough pass out of the post. But with Bam, it's scary because you can put it on the floor and finish, he can make the right pass outside to open shooters, which Miami is just always setting picks, getting Duncan Robinson threes, getting Tyler Hero space. It works. 
or Bam can just you know work in the post like if he's not just driving like he has a decent array of post moves and he's what I think is the future at center for the NBA like he's the perfect modern center and he's making somewhat of a superstar leap like we we saw Tatum make it earlier this season I think Bam is doing that same thing right now as in in bigger moments so I'm really impressed with what I saw from him Jimmy Butler Let's let's be real about Jimmy Butler for a second. We we love Jimmy Butler. Everything he did in these playoffs shows everyone exactly why he went to Miami and why that was the right decision. He found a group of guys who just compete and work just as hard as him. And it was the perfect marriage. I think Pat Riley knew this. Eric Spolster and Jimmy probably had a lot of talks before he signed and realized, all right, this is the perfect Miami Heat player. He did not have the series that he needs to have against the Lakers. And we're going to be previewing... He's not efficient at all. Yeah, we're going to be previewing the finals. And Jimmy did a lot of great things. His playmaking is always good. He competes defensively. He gets rebounds. He makes his free throws. And that's a big part of his offensive game. But he did not make shots. Like, I, I don't feel unsafe. Or, like, I feel very comfortable saying, like, Bam and Drogic were the two safety blankets for Miami this series with the occasional Tyler Hero injections. So I I want more from Jimmy is what I'm saying. I want more scoring. I want more Jimmy buckets and not necessarily always looking to defer, looking to pass. I don't want that Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I think Jimmy Butler really needs to step up on the offensive side of the ball. But I think we have to talk about this NBA Finals matchup now, which I think is going to be amazing. The Heat versus the Lakers. I honestly think the Heat might win this. I think, not to say that Frank Vogel isn't a good coach, not to say that 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 LeBron James and AD are unstoppable, but I think maybe Bam and AD might neutralize each other. So it just really comes down to like LeBron James versus Jimmy Butler and the rest of the supporting cast. And I think Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson... Goran Dragic, I just trust way more than KCP and Danny Green, who's been absolutely garbage this entire playoffs. For the Lakers? And it's so weird saying this 10 years later, marking the anniversary of the Lakers-Celtics series in 2010, but Rondo is going to be one of the most important players for the Lakers. And we, we've seen, ever since he came back from injury, exactly how he can help LeBron take some of that playmaking burden off LeBron's shoulders. AD and Rondo just have instant chemistry. We saw that in New Orleans when the two played together in that one playoff run they had when they eventually lost to the Warriors in the second round, but still a really fun team. And Rondo's three-point shooting has been incredible in the bubble. Like, especially in this this series and a little bit of the last series, Rondo is not the same Rondo who just could not buy a three-point shot. Like, he can hit it. Like, if you leave him open more often than not, he will make the open three. So, I think Miami's Miami's still going to play low. Like, in pick and rolls, they're going to have drop coverage. They're not really going to step up on Rondo or go over the screen. But he's. I think he's going to hurt them. Like, Rondo gives you that, like, 12, 13 points and, like, 7, 8 assists. That's such a huge help to LeBron. And what, what have you seen from Kuzma, Ani? Like, I... I don't like what I've been seeing. He's been too inconsistent, and everyone talks about him as like that third guy, but 
you know, guys like KCP, Caruso, I've seen so much more from them contributing on a night-in, night-out basis. Like, it feels like those guys just don't disappear because they're competing both ends. But I feel like sometimes Kuzma, like, he'll make a random three every once in a while, and I'll be like, oh, Kuzma was on the court? I didn't even realize. So, I know if he's consistently given the chance to be a third option, he'll probably get his buckets. But because he's not starting it, it it feels like he's he's pressing sometimes like he's just actively trying to get on the scoreboard but it's not going through the flow of the offense like i i noticed it when he was going like one-on-one against michael porter jr a couple of times last year like against the nuggets kuzma's talent level is represented by the number he wears on his jersey zero he is trash that's harsh or he has that's been harsh. trash this playoffs you know, the, the Pelicans really wanted Kyle Kuzma. They wanted him over Brandon Ingram. But the Lakers, you know, smart smart brain thinking were like, no, we'll give him Brandon Ingram instead of Kyle Kuzma. We'll keep Kyle Kuzma. Imagine if this Lakers squad had Brandon Ingram coming off the bench. would straight up be unstoppable. It would be crazy. Brandon Ingram's too instead, good. He's too good a player to come off the bench. Okay, yeah, he actually would have started. You're right. But instead... We have Kyle Kuzma. It's just the, the combination of Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green on this Lakers team might be the combination that kills them in this final series. Because you're going up against Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and Goran Drogic, right? And if you have uh, Rondo, Kyle Kuzma, and Danny Green, two of those players can't shoot at all. And one used to not be able to shoot his entire career, only recently started shooting decently. Whereas all three of the others... Okay, let's throw in Jay Crowder for the Heat. And KCP for the Lakers. If you take those four, KCP, Danny Green, Rondo, and Kuzma versus Jay Crowder, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and Goran Dragic. This playoffs, I would take the Heat four, like those four players, and those four supporting cast members over the Lakers four supporting cast members any day. Right? Right. And, like, I I heard some some talking heads on the the sports channels and first take and everyone, like, they, they do, like, this player comparison thing between the teams and you know the the best players in this series are undoubtedly lebron james and anthony davis those are your horses those are the guys that they're top five top six players of the league they're they're clearly the two best but after that i think miami has like the next five or six guys like you said Drogic, duncan um iguodala i'll throw in there Jay Crowder. I completely forgot about I just never said Iguodala's name this entire time. Bam. He's so important. Jimmy. Like, all those guys. There's... <laughs> I, I'd probably go Caruso after all the guys I listed. Maybe Caruso and... Alright, maybe Caruso and Crowder are around the same. But, like... Miami has an overall team talent advantage. The Lakers have the two best guys. So I think it, eventually the series is just going to boil down to that. And we saw LeBron, what LeBron did in a closeout situation game five. He went back to being the 2018 playoff LeBron where he just took over every single game, all points, every single quarter. He was the guy facilitating, playmaking, rebounding, taking every single defensive assignment, took Murray when Jamal was absolutely on fire. He, if LeBron sweeps Miami, I would be shocked. If LeBron wins in five against Miami, 
I would still be shocked. I think this is going to be one of those grinded out defensive slugfest type series with two teams who compete extremely hard on that side of the ball. It's not going to be one of those shootouts. I think this is very similar to Pistons Lakers 04, where you have a clear a, a team with a clear talent advantage, at least at the top level with the LA Lakers, versus a team that's done it by by getting their hands dirty by really throwing people for a loop with their zone defense. And I don't I don't know if the Pistons did that, but but it, it's a new wrinkle like we've seen in the bubble. Like a lot of teams are playing more zone, but no team has played more zone this season than the Miami Heat. Credit Eric, credit Eric Spolstra for that. Like he's done a great job using that to really confuse opposing teams. I'm Ani, I have a question. Like this is I don't know how specific it is, but what role do the LA centers play in this series? And I'm not talking Anthony Davis because he's like obviously has like half the role for that Laker team. But I'm talking about the guys like Howard McGee, even someone like Markeith Morris if they go small. Like what what is their contribution to stopping players like Bam and maybe a Kelly Olynyk if he gets minutes? I don't know. I'm I'm very con- confused. I keep on saying I'm confused, but I don't know what the series is going to bring us because I think. If the Heat decide to play zone again versus if they play man, I think that that's different based on who you bring on. And I think if you want to neutralize Bam, you maybe put AD and JaVale in the game and then you free up Anthony Davis to be guarded by someone like Crowder or or whoever they decide to play at, at, at the four. And so it just really depends on the matchups. I think it's, I think it might change. I think this, this series is going to be very fluid, very dynamic on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. I feel like adjustments are going to be made. And these are two very well adjusted or adjusting teams. They they make adjustments quite well, and they're able to to master things game to game, unlike the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> I think it's going to be a really dynamic series. I think you know, Dwight Howard might start one game, and then Javale McGee might start one game, and then they might go small ball depending on if the Heat play zone, and the Heat might switch up zone and halfway play man, or maybe go box and one. It really depends. There's the Heat are just so versatile, and so, so are the Lakers. And you know, I think LeBron will obviously step up. And it just—it feels so, so stupid to say, yeah, the Lakers might lose this series because they've AD who's been going off this playoffs. And then we saw what LeBron did at the end of the Nuggets game in Game Five. He is the same player he was a few years ago. He's like not slowed down at all in year seventeen. So it's not like he's missed a step and he's like this old, slow guy. He's an amazing basketball player, second greatest basketball player ever played the game, right? So it's just, it depends on the supporting cast, I think. Because if LeBron and AD can take the whole series into their hands, I'd be so surprised because that means that Miami's defense, which has been heralded as, you know, very good, has failed. Not failed in that sense, but failed to stop LeBron and AD, which, again, shouldn't be that big of a surprise because they're just so good, but... If it has to come down to supporting cast, I think Miami. If it doesn't, then I think the Lakers take it. I think it really depends on defense. So, I don't know. I, I have maybe Miami in seven. But I'm just, I, I, I'm excited to see the series. That's my biggest. Like, my, my emotion coming into this is excitement. Even as a Lakers fan, I'm just excited to see what the series will bring us. And I hope it goes to seven, six. I hope it's not a sweep. I hope it's not a five-game series. So, Ani, who's the third best player on the Lakers? Rondo right now. Rondo or Caruso, honestly. Can we, can we just make that like a little quadruple of like KCP, Rondo, Kuzma, and Caruso? For now, yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I have questions for you. That's why. Okay, yeah. 
So yeah, I'm going to just name Miami players and you tell me if you would rather have that quartet or that player. Or like, like it's basically like, would you rather have any player from that Lakers quartet or the Miami player? Yeah. And this is just talking this playoffs, right? Like, I think like you know, for, this, in general is a- for this final series. Okay. I'm just yeah. trying okay. to rank the best players in this series. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Duncan Robinson. Yes. Kelly Olinick. No. Kendrick Nunn. No. But I think in general, yeah, but you know, and we've talked about this. He's not been the same since, you know, he got COVID and he's really been on a road to recovery. Rookie of like not rookie of the year, but you know, one of the best rookies in, in, in his class and one of the best rookies this year. But this these playoffs, no. I think I'd rather have Rondo. Derek Jones Jr. No. Iguodala. That's that's a tough one because Iggy played super well game six, but before that he didn't play quite well. And I think I'd rather have Rondo because Rondo's been played really well two series in a row whereas Iggy's only played well one game this entire playoffs it's, it's all after like, it's, just, it's just really like in, like I think choosing Iggy might be a recency bias thing I don't, I don't think he's Iggy and, I don't think he's played poorly these playoffs like Iguodala's impact no, always okay, just like goes Rondo beyond went, Rondo's been doing really well these past two series yeah alright that's fair Tyler Hero yes Tyler Hero 100% Drogic Drogic yeah Jay Crowder this one's a, a tougher one. I would, I don't know. This is a really tough one. I think it's a toss up. I really don't know because Jeff Crowder did well against Toronto and then against Boston. He did okay. He didn't get that much playing time too against a Boston compared to the previous two series. But I mean, sure, maybe Jay Crowder. I don't know. I feel like he's, you know, when he makes shots, he makes shots. I think I'd rather have him over everyone except for Rondo. All right. So if we're doing a ranking of the players in this series, it's going to be LeBron one, Davis two. Bam, three, Butler, four. You can switch those two around, but those are the, the four best players in the series. And then five would be... I think Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero. Six is probably Drogic. Or maybe five is Drogic, six is Hero. I think, I think is, six is Rondo, seven is Drogic. You think Rondo's better than Drogic, at least in this final series? Like, as who's more important regarding the entire series? I mean... Yes, because Drogic can shoot, and he's been really, really good against the Celtics. But I think Rondo, I mean, and Drogic is really good at playmaking, but I think Rondo's playmaking, if okay, if Rondo steps up and really is playmaking, and also if he decides to get open looks and he's able to drive to the basket and make some crazy, ridiculous shots, he unlocks a lot for the Lakers. Like when Rondo plays well, and he also plays good defense, he's just, he unlocks so much for the Lakers on the fast break. Just on so many d- different types of, of offensive play calls, it's just he really unlocks a lot. So I think if Rondo plays at his hundred percent, the Lakers are low key unstoppable. But if Rondo doesn't play well, it really is all up to AD and 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 and, and LeBron. Man, the Drogic hate is going too no, far. No, listen, Drogic was so good against the Celtics. He was honestly too good, and a, a few games he was just cooking. But it's just he doesn't. Actually, that's false. I mean, he means a lot more to the to the Celtics than Rondo does to the Lakers. I just think that if if Drogic has an okay game, the Celtics, sorry, the 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 Heat will still do well. But if Rondo has a bad game, the Lakers might not do well. Actually, the 
I don't know. I don't even know. I'm sure. Okay, let's rank Drogic at six and then Rondo at seven. So you're putting Duncan Robinson below Rondo? Yes. This I agree with because Duncan Robinson missed a free throw and at a spot that I thought if he did miss the free throw, the Heat would have won that game. Right. And also just Duncan Robinson doesn't play that many minutes. But, you know, no heat to Duncan Robinson. So, Love the kid. So of the top eight players in this series, Miami has five of them. Yeah. And I think even if you put the top ten, Miami has seven of them. Well, this is this is going to be a fun finals. I'm saying LA in six because I think they've proven over and over again in this playoffs, even when I've counted them out. Like they've they've shown that top end talent matters a lot more than like we might like to think, and it's just because we've been seeing this Miami team do what they do, but they haven't gone up against the tandem to the strength of possibly one of the best players of all time, either one or two. MJ, LeBron, however you guys like to do it. And one of the generational power forwards slash centers of our time in Anthony Davis. Like, this finals appearance is finally... This has been a legacy-building playoffs for AD. And the game winner really encapsulated all of that. All of his brilliance throughout the series. I know he's been having some rebounding struggles recently. And I hope that's fixed up during the finals. Because they need his rebounding to unlock some of those outlet passes. The transition game that really gets the, the Lakers energized. But yeah, AD and LeBron, I think, end up taking this in six. Yeah, I mean, my prediction is Heat in seven, but I'm just excited. Yeah, I mean, just too much excitement going on. Yeah, it'll be a fun series, and we'll keep we'll keep writing some articles, and we'll we'll do a few episodes throughout the series just to discuss things. If there's some crazy game, buzzer beater type game, we'll react to it immediately. But I think. That's all the NBA for this episode. We're going to be wrapping up things soon. Ani, quick thing on the Tampa Bay Lightning. They won the Stanley Cup. And last year, for some context, they were the number one seed in the East. And they got bounced in the first round by an eight seed. So I think that's like the best way you can come back from something like that for your fans, for the city, is to win the Cup the year after a huge disappointment. Clippers, I'm talking to you. It's not going to happen next year, but you can dream. Um, yeah, MLB playoffs starting soon. My A's. We lost Matt Chapman earlier this year. Second best third baseman in the league. But we've been playing really well. Our pitching staff has been great. Frankie Montes has been great. Liam Hendricks, again, one of the best re- relievers in the league. Ninth inning shutdown guy. Uh, Chris Davis, our designated hitter, has started not slumping, which is all I can ask out of him at this point he's had a really subpar year but finished the year batting 200 so he crossed the mendoza line um i think we're gonna win we're facing the white Sox. best of three to start first game is tomorrow on tuesday so by the time you hear this the a's will probably be playing i think we're gonna i think we're gonna beat the white Sox. they're a really exciting young team giolito is incredible um but yeah that's all i have on the a's i guess honey i know your giants got Kind of messed up by some One calls. game away. One game away. It was a all I have to say. rough series this weekend. Yeah, and honestly, I have so much like excitement now for the Giants because Mike Yastrzemski looks really good, and our team actually looks kind of good now, so I was surprised. Um, I mean, my the team I'm not rooting for are the Atlanta Braves simply because of Freddie Freeman and his story. Love the kid. And I really hope that the Braves go far in the NL. 
But I mean, it's a tough road there. They are the the, the second seed, but they do have the Dodgers. They have the the Miami Marlins, who have never lost, or yeah, have never lost a playoff series when they've gone to the playoffs. So. So what you're saying is everyone should just bet the Marlins to win the World Series. I'm betting $1,000 on the Marlins, and I'm not looking back. And that wraps up our episode for today. I hope you guys take Ani's financial advice and do with that as you may. Um, Check out Ani's recent blog post up on our website, www.lockedinpod.com. Check out our Instagram. Check out our Spotify. Check us out on Apple Music. We have to keep doing this because we want you guys to listen to our stuff. So feel free to... Hit us up if you want to be on the podcast. We have some some of our homies are lined up to come on episodes soon. We're working on some guests. So maybe you will get our NBA correspondent Daryl Armstrong soon or somebody else. We'll figure it out. We'll try to get some NFL people on because the season is crazy. A lot of stuff happening. But yeah, Ani, anything else? Not really, honestly. Uh, I mean, we have our NFL episode coming out soon so look about that all about week three and the craziness that's happened along with the uh the ravens chiefs matchup which we'll go very in depth about but i mean as always stay safe and wash your hands wash your hands people peace